Amen. All right. So note it. let's go ahead and read the first few verses here. First Timothy chapter one. It says, Paul an apostle, Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son of the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, what I'm going to start doing tonight, I want to preach through the book of First Timothy. All right? And I hadn't planned on doing that, but I was wanting to preach on this specific passage here in First Timothy. And as I was studying it, I realized, you know, in order to kind of do this justice, I need to preach through the whole book. So I thought, you know what, let's preach through the whole book because there's some really good practical things that we need in First Timothy. And so to kind of kick this off, uh, really what this whole series is all about of First Timothy is sound doctrine specifically on behavior. All right? Doctrine about our behavior. Doctrine that affects our behavior. And I want you to notice a few things. Chapter 1 kind of kicks this off. It doesn't talk a whole lot about behave, any behavior in chapter 1, although we will see some. But it's kind of kicking it off. And notice how, in the beginning of this chapter, how Paul's telling Timothy to make sure that they're not teaching any doctrines other than what he had taught him, okay? Now, Paul did not go through and, you know, make a list and say, now, here's a list of the doctrines that I taught you, all right? Now, we don't know every little thing that Paul had taught Timothy, but understand, you know, that Timothy did know, all right? Timothy did know what he had been taught, and Paul didn't want Timothy going up and just coming up with new stuff and just making up new stuff and just coming up with with weird things and that's something that people often do in churches today. And we're seeing this more and more, especially in the age of the Internet, where people love getting caught up in just weirdo, messed up doctrines. Why is that? You know, some of this stuff's interesting, all right? There's some interesting subjects out there. There's things that we could all talk about, we could have conversations about. And things that honestly, when it comes down to it, we're never really going to know. All right. You know, what did Adam do those 930 years that he was on earth? You know, just how much stuff did he know? You know, who did really did build the pyramids? Was Clarence Larkin right? Was there really, you know, white limestone that was covering the pyramids that had basically the history of the whole world all carved in it that, you know, unfortunately got taken away? And, you know, could that capstone have told us when Jesus Christ was going to return? Stuff like that. You know, that's all weirdo stuff in Clarence Larkin's book. And uh, Clarence Larkin, he was the original Ruckmanite, I guess you could say. And they're kind of the kings of that stuff. They all worship uh, Clarence Larkin. But we, we can get all caught up in that stuff. And honestly, it's, most of it's just a big waste of time. And one thing, while I'm all for people having their hobbies and subjects that they're interested in, you know, there's, it's some, some of these things just have no place in church. They have no place being talked about in church, you know, amongst God's people, and especially... From behind the pulpit. These things do not to be preached about. You know, last week I went through and I showed a cunningly devised fable that I addressed, that I talked about from the Gospel of Nicodemus. But I noticed I didn't teach that, showing this is something that we ought to teach. I was teaching against it. I was showing these things are bad. They don't come from the Bible. Therefore, we should not be teaching these things. If, it does, if it's not in the Bible, we shouldn't be teaching it. And so I don't know every little thing Paul was talking about, but Timothy did know. And Timothy didn't need to go. He didn't need to be coming up with new things that he hadn't been taught, that Paul hadn't talked to him about. He wanted him only teaching the doctrines that he had taught him. And we should, we should always be concerned 
when someone's you know teaching a new doctrine, something that you know you've never heard before, especially when he can't show you something clear from the scriptures. And it doesn't count if he just picks a vague verse somewhere out of the Bible. We'll probably talk a little bit about that in a little bit if we have time. But it needs to be something that's clearly taught in the scriptures. And there are there's things in the Bible too. There's things in the Bible where it's briefly mentioned, but the Bible doesn't expound on it a lot. We mentioned last week that story about after Jesus' resurrection, about all those saints that rose and went into Jerusalem and, and were preaching. Who were they? What were they saying? How long were they alive? You know, did they live normal lives and die? Did they go up to heaven? I mean, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. So you know what we're going to do? We're just going to zip our lip on that. You know, we'll, we'll be silent where the Bible is silent. We're not going to build doctrines around that stuff because when people do, it ends up a lot of times leading into a lot of just crazy stuff. It leads into a lot of heresy. It leads into a lot of things that just don't matter. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. So he's like, you know, there are, there are some things that are just going to make us ask more questions. Things that, honestly, when it comes down to it, they really don't matter a whole lot. They're not going to change our lives. They're not going to make a big difference. Uh, look what he, and turn over to chapter 4 real quick of First Timothy. It says in verse 6, it says, If thou put, in, uh, put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So what were these teachings that were being taught? All right, What was this sound doctrine that Paul had given to Timothy that he wanted him to spread? And I believe it was teachings that had, they were teachings that had no profit. Those are things he was telling him to avoid. Things that just have no profit. Things that are not going to improve your life. You know, you've got a lot of these preachers, especially the internet preachers, they love talking about the Nephilim all the time. You know, they always want to talk about, you know, are there aliens and all the weird things. And it's just like, you know what? That stuff really doesn't matter. All right. First of all, I, I mean, I don't think a lot of that stuff's biblical, but even if it is biblical, who cares? But there's guys, you got the Rob Skibas and people like him that do whole seminars on these things and people flock to that stuff. And really, how is it going to how is it going to make you a better Christian? All right, you know, learning about Nephilim. I mean, really, can anybody think of how that will make us a better Christian if we accept the Nephilim doctrine in this church? It's not going to make us a better Christian. It's not going to improve our life. It's not going to it, you know is that stuff interesting? Is it intriguing? Yeah, but you know what? You know, so is a lot of sci-fi. You know, I I thought ET was cool when I was a kid. You know, but I mean. I, it's not real. You know, it, it's interesting. You know, there's got to be something out there. Look at all those stars and all those planets. There's got to be something out there, right? Well, you know what? I'm actually going to show you what's out there. Or not what's out there, but why what's out there is out there in a little bit. We'll get to that in a little bit. But these were, these were teachings that had no profit. That's what he wanted them to avoid. The old wives' fables. And these things had nothing to do with their behavior. These were things that were useless. And today, churches, they're full of storytellers. And some of these guys are good. And one thing we need to be careful of as Christians is to not get sidetracked on the weird subjects and doctrines that are not found in the Bible or just not clear in the Scriptures. We've got to stay away from those things. 
And, you know, the weird stuff's entertaining, but the weird stuff all misses something very important. And that is it doesn't affect our behavior. It doesn't make us better people. It will not make you a better, you know, th- those doctors won't make you a better husband. All right. I put a video clip out there that somebody else has been sharing of Rick Soul, who I've heard preach. I've heard him preach a couple of times. Seemed like a nice guy. Thought he was a decent guy. Didn't know he was a Ruckmanite. I trusted the guy just because he was at the Revival Fires Conference. Figured he had to be good. And he didn't preach anything weird there. But he was at the Anti-Anderson Conference, number two, and was preaching the stuff about how all these, you know, in, in the future, we're going to be inhabiting all these planets and populating all these planets. And I mean, just weirdo Mormon stuff. And there's absolutely no basis in the Bible for that at all. Absolutely none. But he's preaching this stuff. You know, he's, he's telling, you know, fables, things that were useless. They, you know, look what, let's keep reading verse five. It says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned from which some have swerved, have, uh, have turned aside unto vain jangling. It's just random talk. It's just babble. It's stuff that has no profit. All right. So first of all, if we are going to inhabit all the planets like the Mormons teach out there in the future, how is that going, how did, how is that going to change our life right now? How is that going to make us better Christians knowing that? How is that going to, I mean, first of all, the Bible doesn't teach that, but even if it was implied somewhere in there, how does that benefit the church at all? I mean, what are we going to, what are we going to do with that? Oh man, we're going to go sit out in the stars at night and try to pick out the galaxy we want to live in. I mean, and even if, what is that all about? But people get all caught up in that stuff. And you know what was funny? I already had this message plan and everything. And last night, my wife, she pointed out something that somebody showed on Facebook. Because when, when Rick Soule was preaching that weirdo Mormon message, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, this is stupid. And he kept saying, I might be a heretic. So I sometimes think that about myself. And I'm like, well, good. I, I agree with that. I think you're a heretic too. And somebody raised their hand. And I thought it was Sluter. I couldn't tell. It sounded like Sluter. Might not have been him, but I think it was him now because he brings up a verse in Isaiah 9, 7. Turn over to Isaiah 9, 7. All right. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. See, because this is the kind of stuff that Paul was warning Timothy about. Not to teach these doctrines. All right. Now, the Ruckmanites do this stuff, but he said he gets this verse that says of the increase. He, he, he quotes, he's like, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Anybody say anything about inhabiting other planets in there? Where he gets that from, because this is where the, this is how the Ruckmanites work. Remember, they zero in on a little phrase. They never look at context, but it says the increase of his government. In other words, it's got to keep increasing. In other words, it's got to keep expanding. It's got to expand to the other planets and the other galaxies. And it's just going to, it's just going to keep going. It, that's not even close to what that's saying. But then somebody pointed this out on Facebook. My wife showed this to me. Sluter, in a video he made explaining the Trinity, he had written in his notes uh, by Isaiah 9-7, it says... Uh, let me read this to you here. Oh, I think I just lost it. I had it on my phone. I should have put it in my notes. But it's, um, it says, it shows that people, especially Jews, will have children through eternity. They will occupy other planets. That's, that's what he put. From Isaiah 9-7, 
He uses that as proof that people, especially Jews, of course, yeah, because the Jews are just the greatest, right? They're going to have kids all throughout eternity. And then, and then he wrote on there too, he wrote, he wrote a couple other scripture references, which I had to look up. Because I'm like, oh, there's other places in the Bible where it talks about this. He wrote Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19. Alright, let's turn over there. You say, well, you know, why are you picking on Sluter? Well, one, he's an easy target. And, and second, he illustrates what 1 Timothy is talking about very clearly. So Deuteronomy 4, 19, let's see if we see anything about inhabiting other planets on here. Um, Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven... And when thou see the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shouldst be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. What? So I don't know if he's saying he's divided them, so they will, because you know, they're going to inherit some of those one of these days. I mean, how can you get that from that verse? You know how much stuff you have to read into. To get something like that. I mean, that is just one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. And then here's the other one he had. Deuteronomy 32.8. Deuteronomy 32.8 says, When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance and He separated the sons of Adam, He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. So I don't know if because He's talking about how He divided the earth, He's saying here He's divided the stars to the people too and we're all going to get them one of these. That's probably what He's doing. Alright? That's probably how he's going to interpret it. This is the same guy who he got mad at my video I put out about him, about you know calling him a nut job for saying that Old Testament people weren't saved. And I asked him, I said, how did Moses get out of good hell? And he used Jude, a verse in the Bible where it talks about um, Michael the archangel disputing with the body, over the body of Moses. He was saying he got resurrected. Well, that's just adding to the Scriptures. The Bible doesn't say he got resurrected. He said, I don't, I don't know why they disputed over the body of Moses. But you don't just get to add stuff. You know what we, people need to do? And what I think Paul wanted Timothy to do is, hey, when the Bible's silent, be silent. But don't just go adding things. Don't get caught up in things that only are going to bring up questions. Alright? Just avoid those things. And the thing is, too, if you want to go now, and you know, he's probably going to want to go and try to prove in the scriptures that Moses got resurrected from the dead and taken up to heaven like Elijah or whatever. And, and I had, I mean, it just, I had the one guy too because I used Elijah's proof that he went to heaven. And I was like, the Bible says Elijah went up into heaven. And he's like, well, when you get to heaven, you're just going to have to ask God why he chose to take Elijah up on his way to paradise. The stupidity of these people. Why do they do this? You know why? Because they've turned aside unto vain jangling. They've got caught up in these things that, that entertain people, that are interesting. That are, you know, people, they're, they're going to be a lot less likely to come to a seminar on just appropriate behavior, on just, you know, being a good person than they are to, you know, let's learn about the Nephilim. You know, let, everybody likes all the weird stuff. You know, we're going to, let's talk about aliens in the Bible and flying saucers and the chariot wheel of, you know, of Ezekiel. Was that actually a flying saucer? You know, and people get so caught up in that stuff and it's useless information. It really is. Well, it's in the Bible. It's not useless. Well, the thing is, are you sure it's in the Bible? Because it's sure not clear. I'm not seeing it. But there are things that are real clear in the Bible and everybody wants to ignore those things. Especially when it comes to things 
on our personal behavior and how we live our lives from day to day. And we've got people today who go to church and the last thing they want a preacher talking about is how they ought to live their lives and about their personal behavior. But that's actually one of the main things we're supposed to be talking about. and We're not supposed to get caught up in all those other things. But people would. They would rather come and just get their ears tickled with a bunch of alien stories and talk about UFOs and Nephilims and... You know, superheroes and Superman. I, I just, you know, just the weird. I mean, there's, there's no limit to how weird this stuff is getting. I mean, I don't take anything for granted anymore. I, I there, there is, there is nothing too weird for Baptist churches today. That's just how messed up Baptists have gotten on something. There is just nothing. There's nothing too weird. I mean, whoever knew, whoever knew that the Trinity would even be being challenged in Baptist churches, but it is. You know, it's a sign of the last days that we are living in. And, you know, and they have, they've turned aside. But the Bible says in verse 5, it says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Anything we preach, we ought to be able to preach with a good conscience. And you know what? Okay, talking about, you know, cool Star Wars, Star Trek stuff and living on other planets someday. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. But you know what? Based on those verses Fluter gave and his, has written in his Bible, I can't get up with a good conscience and preach that. I can't get up with a good conscience and preach that Moses got resurrected from the dead. I can't, I can't do that all right, with, in a good conscience and preach about that kind of stuff. And I can't preach Mormon doctrines with a good conscience. Can't do that. And so you know what? I'll leave it alone. I'll leave it to the weirdos. To, to, you know, they, they can talk about that stuff, but not here. It, 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 it's pointless. And we shouldn't preach things that we can't preach in a good conscience. We shouldn't preach things that bother us because we know there's something wrong. And, you know, and I've been guilty of that before. I've talked about before how I never felt honest and how I taught Matthew chapter 24. But I was fine with doing it because that's how everybody taught Matthew 24. So I, you know, it must be right. Everybody's teaching it that way. But you know what? I never had a good conscience when it, when it came to that. And, you know, thankfully... Uh, you know, I finally got it right. And, you know, now I can preach it in a great conscience, in a completely clear conscience. And that's the way it's supposed to be with all of our preaching. And so, but preachers, they often make that mistake of trying to make a passage to fit a doctrine that's being challenged. Okay. And that's something we, that I, I have to watch out for. A lot of times there are doctrines that I believe in that are being challenged. And a lot of times it's like, man, you you want to, and maybe if you've not preached a lot, you've not experienced this, but sometimes it's like, I need more ammo, you know, and you get tempted sometimes. Oh, that, that verse is kind of saying that that's close enough, but it's like, no, you know, and I've heard other preachers before too, where they're preaching, they're defending a doctrine that I believe in, but I'm like, that wasn't honest the way you use that verse. You know, I, I understand you're trying to defend a good doctrine, but make sure you use the passage correctly. Otherwise, you're going to hurt the cause. And, and, and I got to watch out for that. I got to make sure I don't do that. I got to make, you know, I, I shouldn't go misusing a passage trying to prove a point, even if I'm right. Okay. Eternal security. I know we're right on eternal security, but that doesn't give me the right to go find a passage somewhere else and absolutely butcher the meaning of it. Well, it, it doesn't matter. As long as it's promoting eternal security, it's fine. It's the same thing, too, at the Anti-Anderson Conference. You know, Sam Gipp, when he was preaching, proving that God's not done with Israel and the land, all these promises are to Israel, 
Sam Gipp was up there making an argument that God is a liar if he doesn't come through for Israel, if God doesn't do all these things, because God wouldn't be keeping his promises. He's acting like God's a liar if God doesn't, you know, restore Israel. Then Bill Grady gets up and in the, I mean, in the same conference, he gets up and he's showing verses that makes it look like, yeah, you know what? God probably is done with Israel. But then he finds an obscure passage, you know, passage somewhere else. He, you know, he draws a comparison from Hosea. Because, you know, it talks about a divorce in there and Ruckmanites are all for divorce and everything because they got to defend Schofield and Ruckman. And, you know, he's on there. And he, he said that God was going to break his word to reclaim Israel. Yeah. So here's the thing. First of all, God can't break his word. That's just, I mean, that's blasphemous right there. But at the same time, wait a minute. One of you said God's a liar if he doesn't take back Israel. One of you said he is a liar if he takes back Israel. But you know what? Both those guys can still be buddy because hey, God's not done with Israel. But the, even though none of them interpret the passages the same. Matthew chapter 24. I mean, very few Baptists agree in their interpretation of Matthew 24 in the pre-trib world. Some say Matthew 24 has the rapture. Some say it doesn't have the rapture. But in the end, they can all hold hands and get along because they're all pre-trib and pro-Jew. Yeah, even though... They do not interpret the scripture the same, even though they interpret it very different. They can all get along as they say the magic words pre-trip at the end of it. But you know what? That's dishonest in how they're interpreting the scriptures. And we should not teach doctrine in ways where we're not being honest with the scriptures. Even if you're right on your doctrine or on your doctrinal position, it doesn't give you the right to twist another scripture to help prove your doctrine. The Bible doesn't need us to do that. We do not need to do that to, to help our cause. And it's something that we've got to watch out for. And so, you know, another mistake people make is, you know, that we, a lot of times we try to answer one of the big questions that everybody has, you know, to make ourselves look smart. Because that's, you know, that's it. When it comes to the things that perplex us and when it comes to the things that just, you know, why? You know, as a pastor... As a preacher, you want to have the answer, don't you? I mean, I, I hate when I don't have the answer. But, you know, if you come to me and, hey, you know, why are the stars out there? You know what? I'm going to give you the answer. You, you want to know what all those stars are out there for? Turn over to Genesis chapter 1. I'll show you what all the stars are there for. Turn over to Genesis, 1, Genesis chapter 1. Actually, the Bible tells us, well, man, there's just all those millions and billions of planets and there's trillions and trillions of stars and there's all these things out there. They're, they've got to be there for a reason. God must want us to inhabit them someday. Well, I'm sorry, the Bible doesn't tell us that. So here's why I think the stars are there. All right? Can I just give you my opinion? Now, Rick Soul will always be more popular than me telling Mormon stories and talking about inhabiting all the other planets. But here's why I think the stars are there. It says in verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. You know what I believe God made the stars for? As lights for the world so we can see. I believe He made... Well, why all those stars? They don't provide that much light. Yeah, but you know what? They help us know what time it is, what season it is. For all the years when they didn't have the calendars like we do and all the 
technology and stuff we have to measure time, they were able to look in the stars and from the constellations and where the position of things were, they were able to tell what time of year it was. They were able to tell what a year was by those things. That's why He made the stars. That's why they're there. That's what the Bible says. You don't get to add stuff to that. Yeah, but scientists, they've discovered all these planets. They've discovered all these things out there. You know, so, so what? You know, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't prove anything. All right, you've been watching too much Star Trek. Okay? You, you've been watching too much Star Wars and stuff like that. You know what? Shut up about that stuff when it comes to church. If you're going to ask me, why do I think they're all out there? I think they're for lights and so we can know the times and seasons. That's why I think they're there. That's what the Bible actually teaches. And if, I get a, if I'm going to go and say any more than that, you know what that's called? That's just called vain jangling. And I'm teaching, you know, fables and things that just, that, that don't matter, that have no profit whatsoever. And I'm not going to look smart with that. I'm not. He said, but yeah, but... There's, there's so many stars. I mean, think about it. There's all these suns all over throughout the universe. You know, why so many? You know, what, that, doesn't that seem ex- extreme? Well, it's no big deal for God. You know? Alright, if we want to add something to it. And you know what? I'm not adding this to it. This is actually biblical too. This is actually biblical too. Here's another reason God did it that way. Did it so gigantic, so magnificent. So they can declare His glory. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handy work. You know what we're supposed to do when we look at the stars and when we look at all those things? We're supposed to say, wow! What an impressive God we have! Now, hey, what's, what, what are, you know, are we going to go out on those one, one of these days? You know, are we going to live in one of those planets? Am I going to inherit one of those planets? You know, that, that's so foolish. But you know what? Nobody will ever come to my seminar teaching from Genesis that the stars and everything are out there for times and seasons and for lights. But they will if I tell Mormon stories like Rick Soul. That they'll, they'll come out for that. But you know what? If I run the risk of doing that and becoming a flaming heretic like he is, and, a, and an absolute nutcase lunatic that ought to be run out of Baptist churches, and I would rather not have that happen. But that is exactly what he is. So... Look at verse 6. So it says, From which have some swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. So these, these, this vain jangling, so it's random talk. We're making noise, but we're not, uh, we're not accomplishing anything. These are subjects that have no profit. I'm up here talking. Uh, you know, people are listening to me. I like hearing myself speak. I like hearing myself sound smart, but I'm not profiting anybody by anything I'm saying. And what good am I as a pastor if I teach you all these mysteries of the universe, but your families are a wreck? Think about that. I mean, what if, what if I, I mean, I just, I've got it all figured out. I've got all the answers. I can tell you why all the planets are out there. I can, I figured out which one you're all going to get. But you're a wreck. Your marriage is a wreck. Your kids are rotten. They're getting caught up in sin. Your boy's queer. You know, all the, I mean, what, what good are you, a, what good is it to know all these things if your family's a wreck? You know what I should be preaching about? Stuff that'll help your family. Stuff that'll actually affect your behavior. You know, what if you know, I mean, you know all the doctrines of God, but you don't even know how to win a soul to Christ. You don't even know how to give somebody the gospel. What good are those, th- are those things going to do? We should be talking about the things that are important and not getting caught up in all these other, do- other doctrines. And so, otherwise, we're just making noise. We're like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. 
And those things are useless. Verse 7 says, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. These people who seem to know it all, who act like they know it all, who talk like they know it all, they haven't got a clue. Think about it. You know, Sluter, he's been able to figure out from Isaiah 9, 7 and two verses in Deuteronomy that we are going to populate, and especially Jews, are going to populate all the planets in the universe. All right. He figured that out, but he can't even figure out how many Gospels there are. Now, he can't even figure out that the rapture comes after the tribulation. He can't even figure out how to explain the Trinity in a way that's even close. What is that? That's just like what the Bible says. All right. They're designed to be teachers of the law out there trying to promote himself out there building a name for himself by attacking someone who everybody hates. That's how he's building a name for himself by attacking guys like Pastor Anderson and just basically and then teaching all these weird things as a way to, you know, just to bring in the audience, to bring in the weirdos. But he has no clue when it comes to what the Bible actually says. You know, Rick Soul said, I mean, good night. The, the, the man's obviously clueless about the Bible. He was also preaching on the multiple brides thing. I mean, he can't even figure out who the bride of Christ. He thinks God has a bride that's Israel. He thinks that Jesus has a bride that's a church. And Bill Grady thinks that Israel has another bride, the you know, physical Jews, that's dirt. They're, they're literally going to marry the land. I'd never heard that before. That was another new doctrine, all right? And I'm pretty sure Paul didn't teach that doctrine either. <laughs> and t- you know, that was probably one of the things he told Timothy. I, I don't even think he told Timothy not to preach that one. I think Bill Grady had made, it, made that one up. I think that's a brand new doctrine. I don't know. He could have got it from Ruckman. But, you know, it, it's clear these people are just clue. It's the blind leading the blind. And they've already fallen into a ditch. Right, when you're teaching this weirdo alien Mormon stuff, you're already in the ditch, my friend. Big time. So look at verse 8. It says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So notice a few things in here. First, when it comes to the scriptures, we need to follow the rules. Okay? We know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Okay? We don't just get to take the Bible and make it mean what we want it to mean. That's what dispensationalism, dispensationalism right there. Okay. It actually, with the Bible, whenever we are using the law lawfully, and I hate to use this term because the dispensationalists have hijacked, that's called rightly dividing the scriptures. And rightly dividing the scriptures is not chopping it up like they do, but it's just being accurate on what we give. If I rightly divide something, mean, rightly means correctly. To divide, it, taught, maybe it means to distribute something. We read a verse that talked about God divided the lands. What does that mean? God separated and He gave a section to each of the 12 tribes. All right. When I preach a message, I'm not preaching the entire Bible. I can't preach the entire Bible in one message. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to divide a portion of the Scripture and I'm going to distribute it to you. And whatever portion of the Scripture I'm distributing to you, I need to do it accurately. Therefore, rightly divide, not 
All right, this section's for you, this section's for the Jews, so I preach this one way to you, another way. That's not what the Bible's talking about. You cannot find that anywhere in the Scriptures. It's, it's just not there. And so, we, we actually do need to rightly divide. And so, um, lost, lost my spot. But yeah, but rightly divide in the biblical sense, not the dispensational sense. So notice this, laws, they're for bad people. Okay? And notice too, so he names off all these things, alright? So he, you know, for the law is not made for righteous man, but for the lawless. God had to give us the law to show us that we're sinners. Okay? And notice how all these things that he's mentioning in here, these are things that involve behavior. And he names off a lot of bad things. And notice at the end, he said, of anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. So anything that's contrary to sound doctrine, okay, we like to talk about sound doctrine, but notice in the in this case here, all this doctrine he's talking about is doctrine concerning our behavior and how we act and how we behave ourselves. We are there are ways that God expects us as Christians to behave. And these things are to be taught in the church. They are to be preached. They are to, they are to, I mean we're we're supposed to command these things. Supposed to repute, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And these doctrines that Paul wanted Timothy to teach were things that involved people's behavior. What the liberal churches are wanting everybody to avoid. The things that make them uncomfortable. Because what are the things that get people uncomfortable? Okay, you know, you know, when Saul was up there preaching about inhabiting other planets, when he was teaching that Mormon doctrine, you know, people seemed fine in the audience. In fact, they seemed to be getting excited about it. But I wonder what would have happened if he actually would have started like preaching against cross-dressing. If he'd actually started talking about behavior. I wonder what would have happened if he'd actually started preaching on soul winning. I, I, you know, I, I, it probably would have made people more uncomfortable. People wouldn't have liked that. They, that's not the kind of thing they want to hear. That makes them uncomfortable. But unfortunately, that's what we need. That's what needs to be talked about. Because you, you know why people have marriage problems? It's not because their doctrine's wrong on inhabiting other planets someday. Anybody ever had an argument about that in your family? Any of your fights ever been caused because you know you all just couldn't agree on which planet you were going to get when you? Uh, I, I choose. Well, I was going to say Krypton, but that got blown up. Never mind. But um, and then that way I can come back to Earth and maybe have superpowers. But no, you know that that, that doesn't happen. All right. All these weirdo doctrines, you know, what I mean, how many times, you know, how many of your kids, you know, people, Christians, kids have gone bad because they didn't understand the doctrine of Abraham's bosom and that Old Testament saints didn't go to heaven. There's no benefit in that. And, you know, those, those things aren't helping people, but those are the things that need to be taught and people don't understand it. And, you know, it's amazing how many people we talk to when we're out soul winning that we go to their houses one of the reasons their life's a mess, it's all over. It's right there in the front porch. It's all those empty beer cans that you have there. But you know what's funny? These people all go to church. How come their pastors aren't telling them about the wickedness of alcohol? Why aren't they telling them about the destruction of those things? Why is it that we go to so many houses and there's couples that are shacking up with each other, you know, living in fornication, and they're like, oh yeah, I go to this church. Well, how come they never told you that it's wrong to live in fornication like that? Why are they not bringing these things up? These things are actually profitable. Maybe your life wouldn't be such a wreck. Why, why, don't, why don't they teach you these things? You know why? Because they're too busy with their vain jangling. They're too busy getting caught up in all this other junk 
that has no profit at all. And we need preaching about behavior and about how we act and about how we live. These things are important. And that sound doctrine that he was talking about are things that affect behavior. Look at verse 11. So he says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. So notice here, we need to be preaching, practicing sound doctrine if we're going to be used of God. Notice Paul, and nowhere in the Bible does it teach that the way a person gets saved is by turning from their sins. Okay, Paul never said that he got saved because he quit persecuting the church. He never, he, he's never taught that. Paul is what he gives some of the most clear teaching that salvation is a free gift. But notice that the apostle Paul he mentions all these things that he used to do. But you know what? He said in verse 12, he says, you know, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for he hath counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. You know why he counted him faithful? Because he quit doing that stuff. When he got saved, he quit persecuting the church. He quit being a problem. He quit, he quit hurting people. And so God was able to use him. You know why? Because he fixed his behavior. Okay? He got saved and then he fixed his behavior. And because he fixed his behavior, he was able to be used of God in a great way. Do you think God would have used Paul if Paul continued persecuting the church? Obviously not. But yet we've got people today in church today, some that even preach the right gospel, but they never want to tell people about how, hey, you need to fix that behavior. Hey, you need to get these things right in your life. You need to straighten this stuff out. How are people going to be used of God if they don't get the sin out of their life? They've got to do the, they've got to do these things. And so Paul didn't get saved by repenting of his sins, but Paul was used of God because he repented of his sins. And that's what we need to do. And because there's qualifications for certain positions. Look at second Timothy, second Timothy chapter two and verse 20, it says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be saved. No, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Y'all see that? If we will purge ourselves, if we will get the junk out of our lives, if we will fix our behavior, if we'll get rid of the bad behavior, start doing the good behavior, we will be a vessel of honor, one that can be used by God. And that should be our desire. And that's the kind of preaching that we need in church. But how are we going to be used of God if you all are, are drunkards? How are, we, how are you going to be used of God if you're all caught up in dope and drugs? How are you going to be used of God if you're just filling your mind with filth and you're watching all the junk on television, letting that stuff rub off on you? How are you going to be used of God? How are you going to be a good witness if you look like the world and you dress like the world and you talk like the world? You need to fix these things. You need to straighten up your act. You need to get, you know, you need to have some good behavior in your life. And these are the things that Paul was talking about that needed to be taught in the church. This was the doctrine. He said, don't, you know, don't go teaching them new stuff. Don't get caught up in the fables. Don't get caught up in those weird things. No, teach things that become sound doctrine. Teach the things that I taught you, the things that specifically 
or affecting behavior, you know, you know, and stand against those things, anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. So he named off all those big sins. Well, I believe too when he's saying anything that's contrary to sound doctrine, he's talking about the little sins too. Teach against those things. Teach the people in the church these things are wrong and there's a way that they need to live if they want to be used of God. So look at verse 14. It says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to everlasting life. So right here, if we see if you've done stuff in the past, all right, if you have messed up in the past, if you have been a dirty vessel, well, guess what? There's good news. God came to save sinners. And so you know what? You can get saved and you can clean up your vessel. Okay? Yeah, I made some big mistakes in the past. Well, you, you can still do something for God. You can still accomplish some things. The Apostle Paul was a you know, dirty vessel at one time. But you know what? He cleaned himself up. And he did some great things for God as a result. So you know what? You go ahead, you know, go ahead and do it. Don't give up. Don't give up because you messed up some things in the past. You know what? Go on now. Move forward. Hey, you're who Jesus Christ came to save. He came to save sinners just like the Apostle Paul. So just don't give up on yourself. But notice too, uh, so let's go to verse 17. So then he says here, he says, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, uh, some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So right here, we see warring a good warfare, it's more about how you act than what you say. A lot of times we don't, we do, we've got, you know, you've got the keyboard warriors out there that are good at running their mouths or running their fingers, but they never back it up. You know, they can't back up anything they do with their action. There's a lot of preachers that are out there like that, that are real good at giving lip service to soul winning, giving lip service to holy living, but they can't back it up with their life. They fail when it comes when they fail when it comes to those things. But warring a good warfare, it's not about it's not that guy that just really knows how to run its mouth. It's the guy who actually knows how to live a holy and a clean life. It's about that guy that actually you know keep himself under control, that can control his temper, that has a good testimony, that actually does good works and is a blessing to other people and is obedient to the commandments of God. That's what warring a good warfare is. It's not necessarily you straightening everybody out just with your words and just with your mouth. Some of us are really good at telling people off and are really good at telling people where they're wrong, but yet we're not even doing these things right ourselves. You know, we're not, we're, you know, we're like the armchair quarterbacks, you know, we're that, we're, we're like that out of shape guy that sits there on Sunday, you know, stuffing his face with cheese dip, telling the quarterback how pathetic he is because he threw that interception. Well, you know what? You're really good at running your mouth, but you couldn't do that. You couldn't handle that stuff. You've never done anything like that. 
So you know what? Why don't you just keep your mouth shut? You're not warring a good warfare, running your mouth about that, tweeting about that quarterback. You know, saying all these, you know, and there are, there's all these people, they think because they know how to run their mouth, that it makes them an authority on something. You know, who cares what you know if you're not doing anything? Who cares how much Bible you know and how much good doctrine you have if you're not even sharing it with anybody? If you're not even telling anybody how to get saved? Who cares about that? Warring a good warfare, it's not about how much you know or how much you say, but it's about what you're actually doing, what you're actually accomplishing in your life. And notice, for example here, how the Apostle Paul, he had to put people out of the church specifically because of blasphemy. And really, we don't see a lot of behavior specifically mentioned in this chapter. We're going to see more in the next chapters. But notice how at the end, he specifically mentions after he's talked about all these things, about having good doctrine because we've got to have good behavior. We need to have these things in our life. He specifically mentions two guys that he had delivered over to Satan, he had delivered unto Satan so they would learn not to blaspheme. Hey, Christians aren't supposed to be blaspheming. They're not supposed to be misusing the name of God. And they're not supposed to be, I believe a lot of heresy that's taught is blaspheming. And you know, and I don't know this for sure, but you know, what was this blasphemy or bad behavior? Because I personally believe their blasphemy that they had, that their bad behavior was a result of bad doctrine. Okay, you know, why is it a lot of false prophets usually the ones that end up being the scumbags? You know, they end up getting caught up in all their morality and everything. False doctrine and bad behavior, they just seem to go hand in hand. So what did Hymenaeus and, and Alexander do? Well, look at 2 Timothy 2.17. So I don't know for sure that this is what they did. He could have been talking about uh, another situation, another Hymenaeus or another uh, Alexander. You know, those, Hymenaeus is not a real common name. But in the fact, too, that Paul in 2 Timothy mentions him, I, I personally think is probably what he's talking about. But he says in verse 17, he said in, uh, in verse 16, he says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness. That's kind of what we've been talking about in chapter 1. Then he says, And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. All right? Hymenaeus and Philetus, they were like the first preterists, I think that there were. All right? There's still some of them around today who say the resurrection already passed, that the rapture already came and everything was fulfilled in 70 AD. All right? These guys, they, they were on board before 70 AD on these things. But I don't know this person, but he says that they overthrew the faith of some. I personally think what they were teaching was blasphemous. All right, how was it blasphemy? Saying the resurrection is past, I don't know. Obviously, there was probably something about how they were spinning it that was probably blasphemous. That was clearly against what the Bible taught. And so, the, the fact is, bad behavior or bad doctrine and bad behavior—they just seem to go hand in hand. Look at Second um, Timothy four, Second Timothy chapter four. So, what did Alexander do? I don't know if this is the same Alexander. I'm not positive. But it says in 2 Timothy 4.14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Alright? What happened? Well, here's what I think happened. They got in a dispute about false doctrine. Alexander was wrong. 
And what did he do? He did like most people do today when they get busted in their church for false doctrine. They try to cause problems for the pastor. That has been going on since Paul's day. When somebody gets busted for being a heretic, what do they always do after they get thrown out of the church? They're going to see how many people they can take with them. They do whatever they can to hurt the guy that busted them. And Alexander the coppersmith, he did that to the Apostle Paul. And the Lord, and Paul said, Lord, reward him according to his works. I like that. I, I really do. Because if his works are good, well, that means he's going to get blessed, right? But if they're bad, it means he's going to get in trouble. I personally like that prayer. I don't know if I necessarily want to pray that for myself. I'm always asking for mercy. But at the same time, that's a good prayer for your enemies. Hey, Lord, we give them what they deserve. You know, and if they're good, you know, I, I don't know. You know maybe, maybe that's not the way to go about it. I'm not real quick to pray that prayer with people. Mostly because I don't want the Lord to reward me according to my works most of the time. Most sometimes, sometimes I'm like, hey, Lord, can I cash in on this good thing I did? But yeah, you know, most time uh, that that's not a good idea. But the truth is, false doctrine and bad behavior go hand in hand. But think about this. Without a whole lot of examples, we'll probably see some more of these as we go through the book of First Timothy. We it's amazing how many churches today are getting all caught up in weirdo doctrines. That even if they're right, these things do not benefit the cause of Christ at all. They do not benefit the people of God. They are not helping families in their church. That is not helping Christians grow. It's not making them love the Lord anymore. It's not, you know, you know what it does? A lot of this stuff does. It just causes them to have more questions and gets them frustrated. It does. A lot of these crazy teachings, it just gets people frustrated with the Word of God. Well, that's the last thing that we want to be doing with people. But that's what's happening as a result of a lot of, of a lot of bad doctrine. And I believe it's very important that the doctrines that we focus on are things that involve behavior. And so as we go through the rest of 1 Timothy, you know what we're going to do? We're going to preach about how you ought to behave. I'm going to, we're going to tell you things you should do. We're going to tell you things that you shouldn't do. We're going to get all in your business and, you know, and, and rock your world and tell, you know, and tell you these things because the, if you do these things, if you will be obedient to these things, they will actually help you be a better Christian. They will have, they will not only help you be a better Christian, they will help you be a better mother. They'll help you be a better father, a better husband, a better wife. They'll help you be a better everything so you can actually be a happy and fulfilled Christian living on this earth in this present world. And we don't have to be like a lot of saved people that are out there that are accomplishing nothing for God, doing nothing for the cause of Christ. Many of these people are saved, yet they're miserable. Why? Because they've not been taught sound doctrine that affects their behavior. And we need some of that stuff. We need preaching that's about our behavior. These are necessary things and things that we're, uh, that we're going to continue to promote around here. And I hope we'll take these things to heart and let them change us. And let's not get all caught up in a bunch of weirdo fable, Jewish fables and fairy tales and Things that just that just have no profit. Let's not worry about trying to answer the things. You know, you know. I'm sorry. I'm not going to get up here and just figure out the purpose of the universe and talk about the Nephilim and flat Earth and you know square heads and you know or, or what's what the the long heads. 
that people, you see those long skulls or whatever? They're supposedly proof of Nephilim. You know what? I, I, I don't care. Alright? I don't care. If you're interested in that stuff, just go home and watch Star Trek. You know, they still have reruns and things. You know, just, you know that stuff, there, there is no profit. They will not make you a better person. And, and even on some things that are good, you know, where's the Ark of the Covenant? When we talk about the Ark of the Covenant tonight, we're going to figure out where it's at. No, we're not. No, you know, we're not going to figure out where it's at. And if I do figure out where it's at, how's that going to help you be a better Christian? Well, Noah's Ark. We're going to, you know, I was looking on Google Earth trying to find Noah's Ark. You know, we're going to, we're going to discover, you know, where Noah's Ark's at. If we could just find Noah's Ark, then that would prove that the great flood and thousands and thousands of people are going to get saved because they found Noah's Ark. No, they're not. If they won't believe the Bible, they're not going to believe if we find Noah's Ark. If they don't believe the story, as we've seen it here, they won't even believe it, even if we see Noah's Ark sitting on a mountain. That, 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 that's all there is to it. Oh, no, they'll believe if one rose from the dead, right? Isn't that what the rich man who is in hell said? That's what people in hell think. That's what lost people think. And I, I, so I you know, Kent Hovind, he was real popular with the creation seminars and all that. And I'm, I'm all for that stuff. It's, it's entertaining. But you know what? If I prove to you that man walked with dinosaurs, how is that going to make you a better person and a better Christian? Okay, and you say, well, it, it, it'll help people believe creation. Well, shouldn't you believe it just from reading Genesis 1-1? Do I really need to do fossil evidence and, and, and find those things for you? I'm sorry, I would, I would rather not do that. Nobody's marriage is going to get fixed because you know a whole lot about creation. Proof of that is Kent Hovind's two marriages that he's already failed. <laughs> Alright, that guy knows a lot about creation, but he doesn't know a thing about marriage. You know, he should have focused more on teaching doctrine about behavior, and maybe he would have been, maybe he'd have been okay. Maybe he'd still be married to his first wife, or at least his second wife. Maybe that would have lasted at least a year. I mean, it, it, it's 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 absolute lunacy. But it, it's those people that get caught up in those things. They have no profit. That they they forget about their behavior, the things that the sound doctrine that's all about, and. Unfortunately, churches are getting away from it. And we've got, we've got to stay in that and be all over that in this church if we want to actually accomplish something for God. And so I hope that was a help to you. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us instruction on how to behave in this, just this wicked, sinful world that we live in. Lord, I don't want to have the problems that the rest of this world's having. I want to be victorious. I want to have a happy life. And we thank you so much for giving us the blueprint for it in your word. And I pray to help us to follow it. Uh, to the best of our ability so we can uh, enjoy our lives and accomplish great things for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go.